First, a couple of announcements. I wanted us all to know as a congregation that the session has been looking forward to February as being the time when we will begin to our process for looking for a new pastor. And I wanted you to know that it, things weren't just sitting here uh, going along, especially with me as your, as your preacher. You, you, you'd like to get going and get, find yourself a pastor. And so uh, I, I wanted to let you know that so that, so that we can be thinking uh, of going ahead. And uh, they'll be coming to the congregation uh, with reference to uh, a new search uh, pastor search team and, and all that goes along with that. So uh, I wanted you uh, to be aware of that. And I would invite you to turn now to Acts chapter 2, uh, <clears throat> Peter's first sermon and best. If you want to embarrass a preacher, ask him about his first sermon. Uh, since you asked... It was at Wheaton, and Wheaton had a, uh, has a student union, and the student union, uh, one of the areas in the student union had to do with ministry out throughout the greater Chicago area, and they called me up and said, would you like to go preach at this church? And of course, I'd never preached before, and apparently there was this gal that was going to go with me who played the piano and did all that kind of stuff, and I can't remember whether she sang or not. But anyway, I'd never preached before, so I called my dad, and he's a preacher, been there doing that, and he sent me one of his sermons on, on Exodus chapter 4, uh, what is that in thine hand? A rod, you know, throw it down, it came a serpent, and so on. It's a sign to Israelites that, that God had sent them. What is that in thine hand was the name of the sermon. And so we got there, and I preached that sermon, and the girl said, Boy, that was a good sermon. Was that yours? And so my second sin, besides copying my father, was to say, oh, yes, that was my, that was my sermon. I don't know whatever happened to that gal, but anyway. There are three things that make a, a great sermon. Simplicity and clarity, Scripture, and Christ, the centrality of, of Christ. The... Um, Sermon of Peter was simple and clear, brief. We can read it in three and a half minutes. But most scholars believe that it took more than three and a half minutes. And what we have here is sort of an outline uh, of exactly what he said that was the progression of thought of his thoughts and how he dealt with it. That he, if there were 3,000 that came to know the Lord and there were a number more that did not, uh, and it was probably up in the temple area, uh, and they had to quiet them down and they had to get their attention and all this type of stuff, then we've got to put this in context. And uh, secondly, Scripture. Uh, there are 439 words in the sermon we've been given, 439. 204 words were Scripture, which comes out to 46.7% of the sermon was scripture. So I would say that it's a scriptural sermon. Third, it's Christ-centered, and you'll see all the way through it all has to do with pointing to Christ. 
uh, studied in seminary classes as a way to preach, a presentation of the gospel, especially how he gives it. It's a record of the earliest, what we call kerygma, uh, proclamation, which uh, people define it in different ways, but basically the kerygma, as they look at it, the, the essentials of presenting the gospel. The first essential was that the time has been fulfilled and Christ has come, the kingdom has come, now listen. The second is uh, that uh, he died for us and he rose again from the dead. A very simple summary of the gospel. And the third is the, to repent and to believe the gospel. So it's, it, it's along those lines. And of course, Peter was anointed by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. And so let us stand as we read God's holy and precious and infallible word in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 36. Peter's sermon, first sermon to the Jews in, in Jerusalem. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is but the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall come about in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, men of Israel, listen to my words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the determined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God has raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, and he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made me to know uh, to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his seed upon the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned in Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. 
This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all of Israel know for certain, that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Allow me to put all of this in context, building on what Colin did so well last week. All this took place on the day of Pentecost, which is called in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks. The 50th day after the second day of Passover, the second day being Shabbat, not Nisan 15, right after Nisan 14, so 50 days after Shabbat, and it's also called the Feast of First Fruits. It's preceded by the Passover, which celebrated their redemption out of bondage out of Egypt, and you remember the, uh, taking the lamb and the, and the blood that was shed over the lintel and the doors so that they were saved for, by the blood that was there over the doors, the sacrifice, which would have been a kind of sin sacrifice uh, that was made that protected them at that time. And they did that at twilight on the, on the evening of, of the 4th. You know, nothing in the calendar set down by God was a mere coincidence. I should have said that first. First came Passover on Nisan the 14th uh, in twilight. Second then came a wave offering. They would go down and send... Uh, uh, this is the day after Shabbat, on Sunday morning, our Sunday morning. They would go and send down by the coast, down by the Mediterranean, or northern, in the plain of Sharon, or someplace like that, and find the very first grain that was coming up, and they would take it, and they would run back up to Jerusalem, and it would be a wave offering concerning the very first fruit. And then, 50 days later, 49 from here, 50 from the yesterday, Shabbat, uh, Feast of Weeks, Pentecost would come, which celebrated the harvest and coming into the promised land where you have the harvest and they're bringing in the harvest, cutting down the harvest and having, having a feast for that. And it's quite stunning that Christ died on twilight of Nisan 14. Christ was raised from the dead on the morning of the 16 while they were doing the wave offering. And uh, on the 50th day, you have the beginning of the gathering in of the harvest of the people of God. And as I said, nothing in the calendar set down by God is by mere coincidence. In Acts 1, we read that Jesus appeared for 
40 days. He commanded them during those 40 days to wait in Jerusalem until they, the promise that he promised, the promise of the Holy Spirit would come to them and he would give them power. And then right prior to his ascension, you remember, he said, and all power, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the world. And so they did wait 10 days, and then came Pentecost, the, the Feast of first fruits. All 120 there in the upper room are coming in and out, and uh, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, men and women together, a large contention of disciples, meditating, remembering, discussing, sharing, thinking as, as they're there in the room. And then came Pentecost and the Spirit came down upon them and they began to speak in other tongues. And the word there really means dialects. Not, you know, Greek was the lingua franca of the whole Roman world. And I, it's not real certain whether these were different dialects. For example, I was born in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, I, would, I learned to say, beautiful. And whenever I say beautiful to somebody, they say, oh, you're from Pittsburgh. Uh, dialect is somewhat different, can be somewhat different from uh, a language. Although, however, there were various languages and these people were from all over the Roman Empire, except for the northeastern corner, England, Europe, that, that particular area isn't represented here. But also, uh, the, the, uh, the state of Parthia is separate from the Roman Empire. And it begins with, there were Jews from Parthia uh, as well. And the Holy Spirit came down upon them, and they were, they were speaking with tongues, and it doesn't tell us how they got to where all these people are, were, but they did, and that's where it began to have an effect. Because lo and hold, these dialects were in the dialects of all of these places where these Jews were from. Now, Josephus tells us that in that day, two million Jews would come to Passover. Whenever you hear a number from Josephus, you take off one zero, and it's more like 200,000, and that can be quite probable. That's a lot of people. But where would they be? They'd be in the temple area, and a lot of the people would come for Passover, and then they would stay over to Pentecost uh, during that time. And so I imagine that this took place in, on the temple area. The temp uh, Herod built the temple foundation and area one Roman foot larger than the largest temple area of foundation in the Roman world. So this was a large area and they were gathered there and you, if you can try to envision what's going on here because Peter has to get their attention. They're coming early in the morning. They're yawning. They're filling the temple area and they're immediately confronted with, I don't know whether confronted is the best word, they, 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 are respond, they have to respond to people who are speaking in their own dialect, and what are they speaking? They are speaking the mighty deeds of God. And now that takes up a lot.
But I would imagine that part of those mighty deeds were deeds about Jesus and what happened with our Lord Jesus. But I'm sure that it brings in the Old Testament. It brings in all those different kinds of things uh, that, that they were doing. And their first reaction to them was to mock, to mock them. Say, these are nothing but drunken people. And so in some way, Peter had to catch their attention. He has to raise their voice. He has to plead with them to quiet down. And he has to get their attention for all these. Now it says, Peter standing with the leaven. I think it says eleven. If it doesn't, I'm wrong. Peter standing with them, had to pled with them, and then it all begins. And he first begins with an apology, an apologetic, to let the people know what was happening in their midst at this point. And it is true blue as an apology. Listen, listen to what he says. He says. Uh, that what you're seeing and hearing is what the prophet Joel prophesied. And he goes on and repeats from memory a prophecy from Joel, chapter 3, which reads, And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Well, that's dealing with exactly what's happening there. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even on the bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So that's what they were hearing. That's what, that's what they were seeing. Now the next verse, some people have a wonder what's going on there. But I'll tell you exactly what's going on there. He goes on, he, he goes on in Joel's prophecy to, to, to recite it. I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon shall into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Blood, moon, fire, vapor, all these are apocalyptic imageries to say that what you're seeing is of that nature. <laughs> this is the day. You better listen. You better be ready. Joel uses this, liter this kind of language three times in his little pro prophecy of Joel. Uh, one time has to do with the coming of the Assyrians to destroy uh, Samaria, and, and, it's, and that's a day of destruction of that time. And, and the other time is here, this one, and the third, uh, somewhat like this one as well, uh, that there would be a day coming. And you better listen. And he goes on to say, finalize it, and, it, and this is the words of Joel, it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a pretty good way to start. It catches their attention. Peter is saying, this day has come and this day is now, <laughs> this, this apocalyptic language is telling you, listen. And they're, they're speaking and they're prophesying just as it says here, this is being fulfilled right before your eyes. Listen. Listen. And then, once he says that, the crowd is listening. And he goes on, and the first thing he says, with clarity and precision, is the gospel. The heart of the gospel. The core of the gospel. Couldn't be any clearer, along with statements that would convict them of what, of, of what took place in their part in it. He begins, Jesus the Nazarene, 
a man. Not Jesus the Messiah, but Jesus the man, the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and, and signs. He's, he's attested. He's authenticated. You know it. He goes on to say, which God performed through him. It was God that was performing these wonders and miracles and signs, powerful signs. These words are, are powerful words that mean powerful signs and, and, and miracles and so on. And they, he performed them among them in your midst, just as you yourselves know. I'm not telling you anything you do not know, you Jews who were here at that time. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. I want to, I want to translate this for you more literally uh, and give you a, tr a more literal translation. It's carefully written in the, in the original. He says, this man, handed over by the determined counsel. Counsel has to do with thinking. That, the word that's used here, boule, has to do with, with consideration, thinking, planning in the mind of God. The, and the word determined is not predetermined, it's determined, but it means a decided, decisively determined, decidedly uh, counsel. This was the counsel of God that did this. By the counsel and foreknowledge of God. And then he says, by means of the hands of lawless men, you crucified him. Peter does not mince words. You know, we, I want to pause to note, if you can just remember where we were. Some have taken this passage as justification for anti-Semitism, which is utterly foreign to the New Testament. Such a spirit of hatred against the Jews is just beyond the pale. Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The 120 were Jewish. Jesus cried over Jerusalem and the Jews. Paul said he would rather be cursed in place of the Jews to take the Jews' curse on himself. The whole book of Romans was written partly in order to, to say uh, against anti-Semitism how they were to understand and love uh, the Jewish people. Historically, it is true that all this happened in Jerusalem and the, the leaders of the Jews handed them over to the Gentiles. That is historically true. But also, Peter, in his epistle, uh, the first letter of Peter, in chapter 2, 24, says, Christ bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness, for by his stripes we are healed. And in chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For also Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might take us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. If you want to identify blame, you know, it's this figure here, these here, just look at ourselves and seek repentance. And I would remind you that Luther's very first thesis of his 95 said that repentance is a way of life for a Christian. So now let's go back to the 
to the core of the gospel. Peter continues, verse 24, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held at its, in its power. Can you Listen to that. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. And then he says it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Of course, we all know that because the, the wages of sin is death. He was a sinless Savior, Son of God, and God was, would vindicate him uh, for sure that, uh, from that. God attested Jesus with miracle signs. God delivered him over. God raised him up again. It is all of God. It's of God's grace. And this is the gospel. Peter explains why it was impossible for Jesus to be held in his power. He, he does so by referring to a prophecy in the Old Testament. <clears throat> prophecy, something prophesied by King David. You don't think of King David as a prophet. But, but he, what he said, he wrote an awful lot, and some of it is prophetic for sure. Think of Psalm 22, where it begins, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's rather prophetic. That whole chapter is virtually prophetic as this... Uh, Chapter 2 of Psalms, Psalm 2, and well, here's, here's another one, Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always in my presence, or I'm sorry, for David says of him, and I would take the him to be Jesus. I saw the Lord always in my presence, and he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue exalted, moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because... You will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is a beautiful expression of faith and hope. But Peter says David could not have been referring to himself all the way through this passage. For David died, was buried, his flesh has uh, decayed, and he, it says because, he says, because God had sworn to David to seat one of his seed on the throne, he prophesied the resurrection of Christ. I'm sure that probably Christ used this text with him during those 40 days when he was teaching them from the Old Testament the prophecies of what were to take place and that he was coming. He prophesied the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned in Hades nor did his flesh, the flesh of the Holy One, suffer decay. And then he's saying, and all of us, what he's saying is all of us who are speaking in these dialects, the, the, the uh, prophecies from the Old Testament or from the people, the, the message of, of Scripture and so on, uh, we are witnesses to his resurrection. Jesus, and the implication is, Jesus is the Messiah, the seed of David, raised from the dead. And he goes on to challenge those listening, finally, in verses 33 following. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God. Now, this is new for them. This is the ascension. So you have the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both hear, see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, in the Hebrew, that's Adon, for Adon, for, 
Yahweh said to my Adonai, both Yahweh and Adonai are different names for God. Yahweh is the one that's normally used. Adonai is similar, Lord over, Lord over the people, over the world, over creation. So he was, he was saying, Yahweh said to my Adonai, and I would add, and I'm not sure that commentators say this, so take it for what it's worth. Whenever Jesus spoke in three languages, Greek was the lingua franca, uh, Aramaic was what they normally spoke in Galilee, but when they were in the temple area, they spoke Hebrew. And this was probably spoken in Hebrew there. The disciples also spoke those languages. They were very smart people, and they're very capable. Very capable. They had to speak Greek because they, they, uh, their business was in fish and fishery and, and pe- people buying vast loads of, of fish, which the Sea of Galilee had. But when they came to Jerusalem and they came into the temple area, then you're, you're, you're dealing more specifically uh, with Hebrew. And so this would have come through very clearly to them. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then he says this statement. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. They're in the temple area. There are all these people there for the feast uh, of of, uh, weeks. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. You know, you have to love Peter. Peter loved to speak. You could always find him speaking up. Sometimes he spoke well, sometimes not so well. In Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? They say, Elijah, one of the prophets, so on. They've named him out. But who do you say that I am? Peter Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that was spoken well. Shortly after that, they're going up to the top of Mount Hermon. And uh, the transfiguration takes place. Luke tells us that they were actually slumbering, and they woke up in, in the middle of this, and all of a sudden Saul saw what, what was taking place. And Peter said, let us build three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then the text goes on to read, for he didn't know what he was saying. That was not so well done. In John 6, you have what many refer to as a Galilean crisis. Three years into his ministry, he speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood and, and so on. And Many of the disciples did not really under, fully understand that, and it says many disciples left, John chapter 6. And Jesus turns to the disciples and said, Are you also going to leave? Peter said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we are convinced that you are the Holy One from God. That was well spoken. But then, on the night before Christ died, Christ said, I'm going to be leaving, and you will not be able to follow me. And he's, Peter says, Where are you going to go where we can't follow you? I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, no, you you won't be able to follow me. That you will, 
Later on, you'll follow me later on. And, Jesus, and Peter said, I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, would you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, uh, cock will not crow until you have denied me three times. That was not spoken well. But my dear friends, the first sermon was spoken very well. Now he's standing before a world that had never heard the message that he is about to deliver. The gospel heard for the first time following Jesus' death and resurrection that he died, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This was a message that's about to be repeated and reverberate around the world. At the heart of the message are the truths of the gospel, truths that transform that Christ died for our sin, he rose for our salvation, we must repent and believe. Of this message, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 15 to 24, if you'll allow me to read part of that. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Peter loved to speak. He also we see that he's also rather bold here, courageous, taking charge. He's becoming Peter, Cephas, Petros, the real Petros. You know, it reminds you of so many of God's prophets and people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing for the faith. Here is Peter, the first along a line that follows him. When brought before the Pharisees, he said, we must obey God rather than men. Finally, about Peter, we notice how content he was in what he said. The very last statement he said was, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here are the facts. Here's the truth. I've, I've told them to you. Now it's up to you. It wasn't up to Peter to convince them of their need. The Lord would do that. The Spirit would do that. Peter did use a lot of Scripture. He did declare the facts of the Gospel. He was very clear in his presentation. But I'm reminded of the words of the hymn. I sought the Lord... And afterward I knew it was not I, but he was seeking me.